Oh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. Uh, this is uh, August 19th, 2023. So last week I ended the show by discussing a little bit about the reformatting of the show. We're going to start numbering the episodes. So I went back a few episodes ago and I numbered that one number one. So this is technically number will be number four. And we started numbering the episodes after almost two years of live streaming. So there's plenty of back catalog to catch up on. But um, now that we kind of reformatted the show, and I've been doing like these deep dives and reading PDFs and doing these things and whatever things have changed. So I figured I would change the way I kind of titled the shows. So that's what we're going to do going forward. And um, I thought about going backward and kind of numbering but I just, you know what, the show has grown and it's it's growing into something that I'm very, very proud of. And I can't thank everyone who's been along with me this journey, uh, you know, this whole time, the newcomers, the old, old people that have uh, stayed with me and the people that have heard about it and come on board and been a part of it. You know, I, I really appreciate everything, uh, all the, all of it. So if you appreciate what I do, uh, the the best thing that you can do is like, and you know, like, like the show, share it around. Uh, this is how we combat censorship in the alternative media space and, um, just help keep this show going and growing by doing those simple little things. You know, it, it would be great you know, fighting the algorithm is, is a tough thing to do, but this is what we can all do for each other. Uh, and so last week, we read chapter one of Dumbing Us Down, The Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling by John Taylor Gatto. Um, I promise tonight that tonight will be an all-call-in show. So I'm going to, first, I'm going to read chapter two of Dumbing Us Down. But this, without any further ado, let me just share the screen here and we can just jump right in to Chapter two of Dumbing Us Down, the Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling in America. Chapter two is called The Psychopathic School. And this speech was given by the author, John Taylor Gatto, on uh, uh, January 31st of 1990 in accepting an award for the New York State Senate, naming him the New York City Teacher of the Year. And it goes, I accept this award on behalf of all the fine teachers I've known over the years who've struggled to make their transactions with children honorable ones. Men and women who were never compla uh, complacent, always questioning, always wrestling to define and redefine what the word, quote, education, unquote, should mean. A teacher of the year is not the best teacher around. Those people are too quiet to be easily uncovered. But she or he is a standard bearer representative of these private people who spend their lives gladly in the service of children. This is their award as well as mine. We live in a time of great school crisis linked to an uh, even greater social crisis. Our nation ranks at the bottom of the 19 industrial nations in reading, writing, and arithmetic at the very bottom. Now, keep in mind, this is in 1990, but uh, the world's narcotic economy is based upon our consumption of this commodity. If we didn't buy so many powdered dreams, the business would collapse. And schools are an important sales outlet. Our teenage suicide rate is the highest in the world. And suicidal kids are rich kids for the most part, not the poor. In Manhattan, 70% of all new marriages last less than five years. So something is wrong for sure. 
this great crisis that we witness in our schools is interlinked with a greater social crisis in the community. We seem to have lost our identity. Children and old people are penned up and locked away from the business of the world to a degree without precedent. Nobody talks to them anymore. And without children and old people's mixing in daily life, a community has no future and no past, only a continuous present. In fact, the term, quote, community, unquote, hardly applies to the way we interact with each other. We live in networks, not communities. And everyone I know is lonely because of that. School is a major actor in this tragedy, as it is a major actor in the widening gulf among social classes. Using school as a sorting mechanism, we appear to be on the way to creating a caste system, complete with the untouchables who wander through subway trains begging and who sleep upon the streets. I've noticed a fascinating phenomenon in my 30 years of teaching. Schools and schooling are increasingly irrelevant to the great enterprises of the planet. No one believes anymore that scientists are trained in science classes or politicians in civ civics classes or poets in English classes. The truth is that schools don't really teach anything except how to obey orders. This is a great mystery to me because thousands of humane, caring people work in schools as teachers and aides and administrators, but the abstract logic of the institution overwhelms their individual contributions. Although teachers do not care and do work very hard, very, very hard, the institutions, the institution is psychopathic. It has no conscience. It rings a bell, and the young man, man in the middle of writing a poem must close his notebook and move to a different cell where he must memorize that humans and monkeys derive from a common ancestor. Our form of compulsory schooling is an invention of the state of Massachusetts around 1850. It was resisted, sometimes with guns, by an estimated 80% of the Massachusetts population, the last outpost in Barnstaple on, the, on Cape Cod not surrendering its children until 1880s, when the area was seized by militia and children marched school under guard. Now, here is a curious idea to ponder. Senator Ted Kennedy, Kennedy's office, released a paper not too long ago claiming that prior to compulsory education, the state literacy rate was 98%, and that after it figured never exceed that the, uh, in, the literacy rate, huh? <laughs> the literacy rate was 98%, and that after it, the figure never exceeded 91%, where it stands in 1990. Here's another curiosity to think about. The homeschooling movement has quietly grown to a size where one and a half million young people are being educated entirely by their own parents. Last month, the education press reported the amazing news that in their ability to think, children schooled at home seem to be five or even 10 years ahead of their formerly trained peers. I don't think we'll get rid of schools anytime soon, certainly not in my lifetime. But if we're going to change what's rapidly becoming a disaster of ignorance, we need to realize that the school institution, quote, schools, unquote, very well, though it does not, quote, educate, unquote. That's inherent in the design of the thing. It's not the fault of bad teachers or too little money spent. It's just impossible for education and schooling ever to be the same thing. Schools were designed by Horace Mann and by Sears and Harper 
of the University of Chicago and by Thorndike of Columbia Teachers College and by some other men by, uh, to be instruments for the scientific management of a mass population. Schools are intended to, be, to produce, through the application of formulas, formulaic human beings whose behavior can be predicted and controlled. To a very great extent, schools succeed in doing this. But in a, in the, in a national order increasingly dis, in, uh, disintegrated, in a national order in which the only, quote, successful, unquote, people are independent, self-reliant, confident, and individualistic, because community life, which protects the dependent and the weak, is dead and only networks remain. The products of schooling are, as I've said, irrelevant. Well-schooled people are irrelevant. They can sell film and razor blades, push paper and talk on telephones, or sit mindlessly before a flickering computer terminal. But as human beings, they are useless. Useless to others and useless to themselves. The daily misery around us is, I think, in large measure caused by the fact that, as Paul Goodman put it 30 years ago, we force children to grow up absurd. Any reform in schooling has to deal with its absurdities. It is absurd and anti-life to be part of a system that compels you to sit in confinement with people of exactly the same age and social class. That system effectively cuts you off from the immense diversity of life and the synergy of variety. Indeed, it cuts you off from your own past and future, sealing you in a continuous present, much the same way television does. It is absurd and anti-life to move from cell to cell at the sound of a gong every day of your natural youth in an institution that allows you no privacy and even follows you into the sanctuary of your own home, demanding that you do its, quote, homework, unquote. How will they learn to read, you ask? And my answer is, quote, remember the lessons of Massachusetts, unquote. When children are given their whole lives, uh, excuse me, when children are given whole lives instead of age-graded ones in cell blocks, they learn to read, write, and do arithmetic with ease, if those things make sense in the kind of life that unfolds around them. But keep in mind that in the United States, almost nobody who reads, writes, or does arithmetic gets much respect. We are a land of talkers. We pay talkers the most and admire talkers the most. And so our children talk constantly, following the public models of television and school teachers. It is very difficult to teach the, quote, basics, unquote, anymore, because they really aren't basic to society, to the society that we've made. Two institutions at present control our children's lives, television and schooling, in that order. Both of these reduce the real world of wisdom, fortitude, temperance, and justice to a never-ending, non-stop abstraction. In centuries past, the time of childhood and adolescence would have been occupied in real work, real charity, real adventures, and the realistic search for mentors who might teach that what you really wanted to learn. A great deal of time was spent in community pursuits, practicing affection, meeting and studying at every uh, level of the community learning how to make a home and dozens of other tasks necessary to become a whole man or a woman. But here's the calculus of time that the children I teach must deal with. 
Out of the 168 hours in each week, my children sleep 56. That leaves them 112 hours a week, out of which to fashion a self. According to recent reports, children watch 55 hours of television a week. That then leaves them with 57 hours a week in which to grow up. My children attend school 30 hours a week, use about eight getting ready for and traveling to and from school, and spend an average of seven hours a week in homework, a total of 45 hours. During that time, they are under constant surveillance. They have no private time or private space and are disciplined if they try to assert individuality in the use of time or space. That leaves them with 12 hours a week out of which to create a unique consciousness. Of course, my kids eat too, and that takes some time. Not much because they've lost the tradition of family dining. But if we allot three hours a week to evening meals, we arrive at a net amount of private time for each child at nine hours per week. It's not enough, is it? The richer kid, of course. Uh, the richer the kid, of course. The less television he or she watches. But the rich kid's time is just as narrowly prescribed by a somewhat broader catalog of commercial entertainments and the inevitable assignment to a series of private lessons in areas seldom of his or own, her own choice. But these activities are just a more cosmetic way to create a dependent human being unable to fill their own hours, unable to initiate lines of meaning to give substance and pleasure to their existence. It's a national disease, this dependency and aimlessness. And I think schooling and television and lessons have a lot to do with it. Think of the phenomena which are killing us uh, as a nation. Narcotic drugs, brainless competition, recreational sex, the pornography of violence, gambling, and alcohol, and the worst pornography of all, lives devoted to buying things, accumulation as a philosophy. All of these are addictions of dependent personalities, and this is what our brand of schooling must inevitably produce. I want to tell you what the effect on our children is of us taking all their time from them, time they need to grow up and forcing them to spend it on abstractions. You need to hear this because any reform that doesn't attack these specific pathologies will be nothing more than a facade. Number one, the children I teach are indifferent to the adult world. This defies the experience of, a th of thousands of years. A close study of what big people were up to was always the most exciting occupation of youth. But nobody wants children to grow up these days, least of all the children themselves. And who can blame them? Toys are us. Get it? Toys are us. Popular store back in the 90s, if anyone's curious about that. Number two, the children I teach have almost no curiosity. And what little they do have is transitory. They cannot concentrate for very long, even on things they choose to do. Can you see a connection between the bells ringing again and again to change classes and this phenomenon of evanescence, evanescent attention? The children I teach, number three, sorry, number three, the children I teach have a poor sense of the future, of how tomorrow is inextricably linked to today. Inextricably, sorry, I'm, I'm, whatever. 
Uh, as I said before, they live in a continuous present. The exact moment they are in is the boundary of their consciousness. Number four, the children I teach are ahistorical. They have no sense of how the past has, has predestinated their own present, limits their choices, shapes their values and lives. Number five, the children I teach are cruel to each other. They lack compassion for misfortune. They laugh at weakness. They have contempt for people whose need for help shows too plainly. Number six, the children I teach are uneasy with intimacy or candor. They cannot deal with genuine intimacy because of a lifelong habit of preserving a secret inner self inside a large outer personality made up of artificial bits and pieces of behavior borrowed from television or acquired to manipulate teachers. Because they are not who they represent, represent themselves to be, the disguise wears thin in the presence of intimacy. So intimate relationships have to be avoided. Number seven, the children I teach are materialistic, following the lead of school teachers who materialistically, quote, grade everything, unquote, and of television mentors who offer everything in the world for sale. And finally, number eight, the children I teach are dependent, passive, and timid in the presence of new challenges. This timidity is frequently masked by surface bravado or by anger or aggressiveness, but underneath is a vacuum without fortitude. I could name a few other conditions that school reform would have to tackle if our national decline is to be arrested, but by now you will have grasped my thesis. Whether you agree with it or not, either schools have caused these pathologies or television has, or both. It's a simple matter of arithmetic. Between schooling and television, all the time the children have is eaten up. There simply isn't enough time. Um, I'm sorry. There simply isn't enough other time in the experience of our kids for there to be other significant causes. What can be done? First, we need a ferocious national debate that doesn't quit day after day, year after year, the kind of continuous debate that journalism finds boring. We need to be, we need to scream and argue about this school thing until it is fixed or broken beyond repair, one or the other. If we can't, if we can fix it, fine. If we cannot, then the success of homeschooling shows a different road that has great promise. Pouring the money we now pour into schooling back into family education might cure two ailments with one medicine, repairing families as it repairs children. Genuine reform is possible, but it shouldn't cost anything. More money and more people pumped into this sick institution will only make it sicker. We need to rethink the fundamental premises of schooling and, and decide what it is we want our all children to learn and why. For 140 years, this nation has tried to impose objectives downward from a lofty command center made up of, quote, experts, unquote, a central elite of social engineers. It hasn't worked. It won't work. And it is a gross betrayal of the democratic process that once made this nation a noble experiment. The Russian attempt to create Plato's Republic in Eastern Europe has exploded before our eyes. Our own attempt to impose the same of, of central orthodoxy using the schools as an instrument is also coming apart at the seams, albeit more slowly and painfully. 
It doesn't work because its fundamental premises are mechanical, anti-human, and hostile to family life. Lives can be controlled by machine education, but they will always fight back with weapons of social pathology. Drugs, violence, self-destruction, indifference, and the symptoms I see the children I teach. It's high time we looked backwards to regain an educational philosophy that works. One I like particularly well has been a favorite of the ruling classes of Europe for thousands of years. I use it much of it. I use as much of it as I can imagine in my own teaching, as much that is as I can get away with, uh, given the present institution of compulsory schooling. I think it works just as well for poor children as for rich ones. At the core of this elite system of education is the belief that self-knowledge is the only basis of true knowledge. Everything in this system, at every age, you will find arrangements that work to place the child alone in an unguided setting with a problem to solve. Sometimes the problem is fraught with great risks, such as the problem of gallop of a galloping galloping a horse or making it jump. But that, of course, is a problem successfully solved by thousands of elite children before the age of 10. Can you, can you imagine anyone who had mastered such a challenge ever lacking confidence in his ability to do anything? Sometimes the problem is the problem of mastering solitude. As Thoreau, as Thoreau did at Walden Pond or Einstein did in the Swiss Customs House. Right now, we are taking from our children all the time that they need to develop self-knowledge. That has to stop. We have to invent school experiences that give a lot of that time back. We need to trust children from a very early age with independent study, perhaps arranged in school, but which takes away, which takes place away from the institutional setting. We need to invent curricula where each kid has a chance to develop private uniqueness and self-reliance. A short time ago, I took $70 and sent a 12-year-old girl away from my class with her non-English-speaking mother on a bus down to the Jersey coast to take the police chief of Seabright to lunch and apologize for polluting his beach with a discarded Gatorade bottle. In exchange for this public apology, I had arranged with the police chief for the girl to have a one-day apprenticeship in a small town police uh, in small-town police procedures. A few days late, uh, a few days later, two more of my 12 year old kids traveled alone from the Harlem to the West 31st street where they began an apprenticeship with a newspaper editor. Later, three of my kids found themselves in the middle of the Jersey swamps at six in the morning, studying the mind of a trucking company president as he dispatched 18 wheelers to Dallas, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Are these quote special children unquote? I'm sorry, special children in a special program? Well, in one sense, yes, but nobody knows about this program except I and the kids. They're just nice kids from central Harlem, bright and alert, but so badly schooled when they come to meet me that most of them couldn't add or subtract with any fluency. And not a single one knew the population of New York City or how far New York is from California. Does that worry me? Of course. But I am confident that as they gain self-knowledge, they'll also become self-teachers. And only self-teaching has any lasting value. We've got to give kids independent time right away because that is the key to self-knowledge. And we must re-involve them 
with the real world as fast as possible so that their independent time can be spent on something other than abstraction. This is an emergency. It requires drastic, drastic action to correct. What else does a uh, restructured school system need? It needs to stop being a parasite on the working community. Of all the pages in the human ledger, only our tortured country has it warehoused children and asked nothing of them in service of the general good. For a while, I think we need to make community service a required part of schooling. Besides the experience of acting unselfishly that it will teach, it is the quickest way to give young children real responsibility in the mainstream of life. For five years, I ran a guerrilla home, uh, a guerrilla school program where I had every kid, rich and poor, smart and dipsy, give 320 hours a year of hard community service. Dozens of those kids came back to me years later, grown up, and told me that the experience of helping someone else had changed their lives. It had taught them to see in new ways, to rethink goals and values. It happened when they were 13 in my lab school program. It was only possible because my rich school district was in chaos. When, quote, stability, unquote, returned, the lab closed. It was too successful with a widely mixed group of kids at too small a cost to be allowed to continue. Independent study, community service, adventures, and experience, large doses of private privacy and solitude, a thousand different apprenticeships, the one-day variety or longer. All These are all powerful, cheap, and effective ways to start a real reform of schooling, but no large-scale reform is ever going to work to repair our damaged children and our damaged society until we force open the idea of, quote, school, unquote, to include family as the main engine of education. If we use schooling to break children away from parents, and make no mistake, that has been the central function of schools since John Cotton announced it as the purpose of the Bay Colony Schools in 1650, and Horace Mann announced it as the purpose of Massachusetts schools in 1850, we are going to continue to have the horror show we have right now. The, quote, curriculum of family, unquote, is at the heart of any good life. We've gotten away from that curriculum. It's time to return to it. The way to sanity in education is for our schools to take the lead in releasing the stranglehold of institutions on family life, to promote during the school time uh, confluences of parent and child that will strengthen family bonds. That was my real purpose in sending the girl and her mother down to Jersey Coast to meet the police chief. I have many ideas for formulating a family curriculum, and my guess is that you, that a lot of you have many ideas too. Our greatest problem is getting the kind of grassroots thinking going that could reform schooling is that we have a large vested interest that we that we have large vested interests preempting all the airtime and profiting from schooling as it is despite their rhetoric to the contrary we have to demand that our new that new voices and new ideas get a hearing my ideas and yours we've all had a belly full of authorized voices meditated by television and the press a decade long free for all debate is what is called for, for now not any more, quote, expert, unquote, opinions. Experts in education have never been right. Their, quote, solutions, unquote, are expensive and self-serving 
and always involve further centralization. We've seen the results. It's time for a return to democracy, individuality, and family. Just do it this way instead. There was something actually the other day that you had mentioned that I was actually was hoping there was a lot of people in that in that show the other day, but you but uh, <laughs> but you you were you and Angela had mentioned something about um like asking the universe like this process of asking the universe and I was wondering if we could kind of go into that a little bit more before we before I end the show this evening and uh, well I have another thing another story to go into another one of these like while you weren't looking type of stories um but you were i forget the exact context but you were talking about you know at this process of asking the universe and you getting what you getting what you ask you know ask for kind of and uh Mm -hmm. I was hoping that we would have had a little bit more time on chris's show to go into that because it seems that that could be that that could be some confusing language, right? Uh, people might hear that and not know exactly what that means. And I was going to bring up before that show ended that, like, through our actions, that's it, that is the way that we're asking, and it's like this karmic response or like this karmic debt that we build up, and that we're going to the consequences of those actions, and that's that's what it meant. Do you do you agree with that? Um, yeah, I do. Um, but the thing is, is I think it all works together like, um, I suppose, like kind of a recipe, like a spiritual type of recipe, I think. I And I think that it's like, okay, so for example, like say you're making your bacon a cake and you've got all the ingredients on the counter for the cake, but you decide because you want it to be a faster, quicker process. I don't know if this analogy is going to work well, but you want it to be a faster, quicker process. You're going to leave like three or four of the ingredients that it says to leave out. And, you know, all the ingredients to make a cake, you need them all to make it perfect. But if you leave, you know, two or three or four ingredients out of it, it's going to go bad. So, Like, the way I see it, like, that's why I think it has to be, like, the way, what we're, what I'm kind of talking about with, like, when you're, you get what you ask for, like, and you're putting that out there to the universe, you're asking the universe how you do that, and what you put into that request matters. So, like, thought, emotion, and action, I feel like, you have to have all three of those things to get what you ask for, but you can also get what you ask for if you're only using thought and action or only emotion and action. And when that happens, when you're doing that, it causes like chaos and just, you know, like you're getting what you asked for. But the thing is, is you left some of the shit out that you were supposed to put into that recipe Mm -hmm. So, you know, it changes what you're asking for. It changes what you're asking spirit for, if that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Well, thought, emotion, action, 
that is the individual trinity that we all individually possess. Action mm-hmm. is the manifestation of your thoughts and emotions working together. So through our actions, we roam the land, we interact with others, and we put this energy out there. Um, and that is the part of the equation where the universe is being presented with what could be referred to as question, which is us through our actions, asking the universe for consequences, whether they be good or bad. Consequence is not a negative or positive word. It's a neutral word. It's our, yep. it's our actions that dictate the type of consequence that comes our way. So yep. through our actions, we are asking the universe millions of questions a day. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but let's have fun. And, yeah. and uh, you know, maybe not millions, but, you know, we're certainly doing that is the process in which we're doing that. So, um yeah. And like action is, yeah, that's like how we interact with the physical, mm-hmm. maybe even the non-physical realm for some people, but um, it's thought and emotion is how, is how we do that because we have to have both of those things too, I think, to be able to interact um, properly with our, our fullest selves correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just think about like, like I, I would do like a lot of people kind of watching um, and I'd see people who interact with their actions like that, like what you're saying, but they're only using thought like it's thought first and then act straight to action or they're using emotion. Like ever meet somebody who's like very emotional and they, they wear, they, they wear it out on their sleeve for everyone to see. So all of their actions are actually being controlled by their emotions. So it's the same thing when people are interacting with their action and they only use thought first and they're not people who want to use any emotions. So they just cut all that out. And so all their actions are through thought. So that kind of deadens, like, it's like, it's a weird kind of, like I see it as like a weird kind of imbalance, like people who are all using all emotion to act with are on the the side where they're just completely overwhelmed with um you know spirit even though they they don't even really understand that that what they're tapping into like they don't they can't they can't manage the information and the people who are using thought only to interact instead of using thought and emotion you know it's the same problem on the other side they're deadening themselves and to like almost everything that might connect them back to that. So I don't know, like that's kind of how I've just noticed how a lot of people who I end up being around, I can, I see that in them. Well, I think now about this stimulus response process and how the stimulus is your reaction to what's happening around you. And that could be equated to the thought. And then the response is going to be 
what we see is action. And in between yeah. then is the processing. And this is what we can equate to emotion. So you have your, mm-hmm. you have your stimulus thought, which you're being, which is your, your metaphysical reaction to the things that are happening around you. Your processing power, which is your way you start to feel about them or the otherwise known as emotion. And then your response, which is action, right? Uh, physical response. So all of it is really a response in this, in this manner of explanation. It's all really a response to the outside yeah. world, but it's the inner processes that, in, that influence the outer uh, response that everyone can see and recognize that I'm kind of going yeah. through here. And when you don't have your thought and emotion kind of working in balance uh, with your actions, your actions are going to kind of betray that thought uh, that you're having. And your actions actually kind of betray your thoughts all the time. I think that's where people um, mistakenly find themselves in this this idea that they're psychic. I don't think that they're necessarily psychic in the uh, in the sort of uh, supernatural way. I think that maybe they have a hyper realization uh, or a hypersensitivity. Uh, they're able to read people's body language and actions in such a fine, fine degree that they're able to actually kind of get a better insight on what that person could be thinking. And then maybe they're really good at calling it out, but that doesn't make them like telekinetic yeah. or telekinetic, you know, no. telepathic, yeah. excuse me. Telekinetic is moving things. Telepathic is <laughs> like type of stuff. But um, anyways, like it is very important, of course, to be, you know, harmonized as best possible with these things because, um, the, so the, your actions carry an energetic weight to them. Of course, anyone can, uh, no one can deny that. Right. Because this is where we see the physical manifestation of energy. This is where we use our, our energy. And this is where we put our energy. uh, Let me put it this way. This is where we put our energy to use is in the physical realm. But then the thought, that's also, there's also a vibratory energy to thought as well. Your thoughts put energy out into the universe as well. So this is why it's important to be in harmony and to tell the truth and to realize the truth and not lie to yourself is because that's going to distort everything else that comes with that. I firmly think that uh, it all starts in the realm of thought. That's why I think that it's always referred to as thought, emotion, then action in that order, because that is the order in which you need to start practicing these things in order to be able to harmonize the way that people think, the way that they're able to either think for themselves or have other people do the thinking for them is going to drastically change the outcome and influence these people's actions, you know, each each and every one of us. So this is why this entire show this evening has been about like what people think who's putting those ideas in their heads and you know should we be able to better question things and have open debate that's why i talked about the fires in maui censorship on the internet you see where i'm like going with this the second chat is so and i was hoping that you'd call in sarah because i was i was hoping for your assistance on this because it was that thing the other day that made me go, I need to talk about this and, and try to get to the bottom of this kind of thought, emotion, action process, because this is where we do the healing. 
This is where the solutions happen is in this, this Trinity thought, emotion, and action. And if we can gain a better understanding of what each of us and how we, that process works within each of us, then the outcomes will be better. And it all starts with the truth, the truth coming to grips with the truth so and you're right it's it all starts with mind and like all the way going all the way up um through the physical manifestation manifestation into the spiritual realm it all starts with mind so that is where it all starts is thought that's why in the kaibalion the principle of mentalism is number one that is the number one principle it's the first one that you need the principle of principles the first one that you need to learn is mentalism. Otherwise, the entire, the, you could call it a house of cards, you could call it a line of dominoes, whatever. It's not going to work. You know, these principles of natural law, they compound upon one another. It's prerequisite information that you first must understand before moving on to two, then three, then four, all the way up to number seven, you know, and even further beyond that. There's, there's things that you won't understand fully if you don't know the first seven principles and you need to know them in order. You know, that's and yeah. mentalism is number one for that reason. It all has to do with what's going on between your ears. If you can't, if you can't make sense of things. So. Yeah. It's thought, emotion and action in that order. And, um, I haven't really focused a whole bunch over the years in trying to get people to, um, really change, you know, much of their ways as, as far as like their, you know, um, deep seated belief systems or, um, how they, they see politics or whatever, you know, I just kind of focused, um, throughout the years of doing like my person to person type of work when I was worked in the community center, um, and other community events is that if I could get them to, organize themselves mentally using thought, emotion, and action, then this is, in the very least, a very good first step. Even if, you know, like, the way I see it, like, even taking baby steps is taking steps. So it's, um, I, I never like to put on to people the kind of, like diehard type of pressure, like you got to change now, you know, um, <laughs> because I, I can kind of see people in a different perspective, I think, um, because of my own experiences. So um, I like to, to give people the chance to take that information for me and settle with it because some people need they need to absorb that and they need to understand that fully before they can move on to the next thing um, and grow from there. And I've seen the change in people even by just doing that. And I've had people come up to me and be like, you know, months later, a couple of years later, they're like, oh, remember when you were, we were talking about this and then this thing happened to me and Da, 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 da. And, and you know I've seen some like amazing transformations in people just by doing that alone and giving them that little tidbit on its own so I, I don't know I think that 
all the other stuff I think is all vitally just as important. Um, however, I think with the way society is in the modern world, how badly we have been in a way kind of medically, generationally damaged, you know, in a biological almost kind of way, I feel. I think there needs to be, like there were stepping stones that they took to get us here. So I think there needs to be stepping stones to get us out of it. You know, you can't just, some of us can open the door and walk right through it and be like, well, fuck that. <laughs> you know, but um, some of us need a little bit more attention. So that's, that's how I, that's how I kind of operated. And like, that's why I think like so strongly that thought, emotion and action is, that's where you got to start. You got to start with that, balance that, get right with that within yourself. And then we'll talk about moving forward into learning more of the weirder, crazier, wilder stuff that's out there. Um, let me see how you handle that first. And then we'll talk next week. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it is, like, it, it all comes back to just uh, asking the right questions and this is all like the internal process, right? Like the shadow work that people like to call it mm -hmm. shadow work, uh, asking the right questions of yourself to yourself and taking the time that's necessary to find the truthful answer to that question, whichever question it may be. And this inner work, you know, what have I done? What's going on with me? Why do I do this? Why do I feel that way? Why do I react that way? And then sitting there, mm -hmm. this is where people have the most trouble, I think, is they're not willing to take the time to actually answer those questions. You know, they, I don't, well, yeah. I don't have the time for that. What do you mean? You know, you're cheating yourself out of a, out of a centered, well-balanced, fulfilled life, you know? This, you, what you don't have the time for that? Give me a break, you know. Yeah. Jesus Christ, you don't you don't want to you don't want to get to know yourself. You don't want to be able to have self control. You know what's wrong with you? You know if you're not in control of yourself, someone else can be in control of you, and that makes you a fucking slave. You know. Yeah. So I think I was able to get through to a few people using that method alone and um what i would did did was like oftentimes they would give me some kind of situation in their life and then i would use the recipe of thought emotion and action to um help them dismantle that situation and like what they thought and felt about it when they first told me about it then they would go and they would think about it they would sit with that you know kind of stew with that for a while and they come back and they go, Oh, right. And they, they could be able, they would be able to see it clearly. And so that's what I mean. Like stepping stones, like taking something that's already happening to them and then giving them the tool to maybe allow them to take the time to 
um, truly actually understand what's happening and really think about it and, and feel through, have the right emotion for it um, so that they can take proper action. And, and, you know, I would see that change, like, you know, more and more people would make the change on their own and they'd start to, you know, just kind of live like that. Mm. So I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if I even really explain myself all the time very clearly. Um, I can, you know, only do the best is with my experience, like how I view it, which might be kind of a strange perspective. But um, yeah, that's, I think that's kind of what I meant by all of that, you know, like when you, when you're talking to your highest self or spirit or whatever, or just, you know, the universe, whatever you want to call it, like, and you, you're going to get what you asked for. And um, if you're not using the three, then it might mess up how the universe responds to you, how spirit responds to mm. you or your situation or whatever. Well, it's going to do business. consequences. Like, like we said, consequences are going to come your way regardless. It says whether or not you want to be conscious of why or, or what happened, uh, you know, these consequences you're coming your way, like what the fuck made this happen? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's certain, you know, random things out there that, that happen that, you know, might not be able to be explained as consequences for your own action, but they're definitely still consequences nonetheless. And then, you know, maybe yeah. this might be heavily, uh, he- heavily tilted this, what I'm, what I'm all, talking all about is like heavily tilted toward this whole consequentialism thing. But yeah, I mean, this is a part of the con like, <laughs> my God, um, he's, Cat's getting in the way. He's got really You're like, what are you doing? Uh, but, um, <laughs> what I was saying is, is that like this, you know, con- consequential consequentialism is not the only thing that exists. You know, I mean, there are, there is a random component to what's going on here for sure. You know, we have choice. We have the ability to make choices, free will. We have these things, you know, so I'm not denying that at all. I'm just because, I mean, this whole thing about the the reason why it seems it's so heavily, you know, implied about, you know, the whole consequentialism thing is that that's the whole basis of what I was asking you, Sarah. I know you, uh, you know, I'm just saying for the audience, um, you know, so this is, we have to be aware that, you know, we're getting what we ask for. And that's why the slavery condition that we're in is, is not going anywhere anytime soon. It's because not enough people are, first of all, speaking up and speaking out about it because they don't even realize what's going on with them. They, they just want to live their materialistic life and that's it. You know, so many solipsistic, just narcissists. It's just, it's sad. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got a what's it called? I got a plug in if that's okay, uh James. Yeah, yeah. Richard Grove's mindset uh lecture and workshop tomorrow. I think this fits in uh very nicely because he's uh touching on organization and we're talking about mentalism and uh thoughts emotions and actions and this could be beneficial for your audience especially i'm still a a learner so 
definitely going to be there, and I hope to see you there. I'll be there. Yeah. I'll be there for sure. Oh, for sure, dude. And that's I'm still a learner, too. I'm, I'm still a learner. You know, I, it's, that's, that's just the truth. I'll be a learner for the rest of my life. That's a, it's a, the part of the uh, teachability bell curve so is part where you want to be, you know, you don't want to be just, you know, so much a, a learner and you don't want to be, you know, so arrogant to think that you know everything. So there's a, there's a healthy media, like a healthy medium point where you want to be like open, but still confident, uh, you know, so. That's that's right. And I, th I think that everybody should really consider themselves um, a learner. But really, I, I would almost say a better term for that is scholar, because scholar isn't necessarily somebody who just knows everything. Like there's a reason why a scholar is a scholar. Are there people who study all the time? That's that's what they do. That's their whole life, and it's not necessarily like it, it's just being a scholar really or just like i mean it i mean now today my people may look at that hear that word and go oh well you know <laughs> you have to go to college and you have to have all these kind of credentials i'm like not necessarily you could just be some bookworm who hangs out in a library all day reading all day and whatever and really it's just somebody who um you know reads and and studies all day long and that's kind of what what that really just is um but it was i mean you know another another person your audience might like if they haven't already heard of him already he's pretty well known is uh dr joe dispenza who um i've i've read a couple of his books or really the audiobooks of it and like he's just i mean i just think that's like really that's some crazy stuff right there if you like listen to his stuff. And I mean, he talks about this kind of stuff too, only I think he really talks about it more on like the, you know, neurosurgeon type of way, like his perspective of being, because um, I think he was a neurosurgeon or something. I think that's what he was. And then um, he wrote a few books and he did a lot of study on the brain and how the physical brain operates and then how that operates when you're using your mind, which is a different thing. So like, I, I think it's interesting how he kind of differentiates that. Like, that's what I got out of it. Like there's your physical brain, the house for your mind and your mind operates through spirit and your brain operates biologically hmm. and that your, our bodies are the house for that. And our brains are the house for that. So I, I thought that like, that's one of the things I got from him. I think that's really interesting. So jo Dr. Joe Dispenza is a great resource for anybody who's looking to kind of look into more of this kind of stuff as well. Nice. I'll have to. I'll. I'll have to look him up, you know, and and get some some of his books like uh, "Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself," right? Yeah. Becoming supernatural. Uh, is that right? Evolve your brain. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting. He does talk about this one story that you guys might find interesting. Is that 
he talks about this study. Well, I guess it was a study, but it was the situation where um, there was this like group of people who did like mass prayer and they, they're all praying together um, for the same thing. And it was something to do with um, healing somebody. And um, what was interesting about it is he talks about how that, that, I mean, that's basically using thought, emotion, and action, really, if you think about it. They're using this mass prayer. They're all in sync with each other, and they're all asking for this, this healing effect to take place for this person. And what was interesting about it is that it did take place. The healing took place, but it wasn't for the same people they were praying for. It was like for some other, it happened on this like mass scale in this other hospital or something where like all these people like just suddenly got better. And like, <laughs> so it, it was this like, it's just, you'd have to like read or uh, listen. To, I listened to the audiobooks, but I just thought it was like so crazy. And it's like, it really gives you a good idea about the power of how, how powerful the mind can actually be. And if you're using it with the right kind of, um, you know, intention, like thought, emotion, and action, you know, you're thinking about healing, you're feeling that you're, that, that this person, these people are being healed, and then you're doing the action of physically requesting. I thought that was really interesting. Oh, that is super interesting for sure. Yeah, it sounds like we're going over the um, the hermetic principles. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, laid out in the Kybalion. You know, mentalism is the first of the hermetic principles laid out in the Kybalion for sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's very important about, you know, just how you know, natural law works, my dude. So another interesting uh, person who speaks about natural law is... Uh, I think his name is like Matthias De, De Stefano or something like that. I, I forget his name, but he's on uh, shit. What uh, he's on the Gaia uh, streaming platform, the, not streaming platform, but like you know, it's like Netflix for for uh, spirituality, loving people. But uh, yeah, I've seen the the TV thing, like Gaia. It's like a subscription or something. Yeah, I think his name is Matthias. I can't remember, but um, well, check him out. Yeah, Matthias de Steph de, de Stefano. Mm -hmm. He he does a he does a breakdown of the Hermetic principles that I found pretty cool. He kind of uh, juxtaposes it to the 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 chakras, you know, and. Um, and I thought it was pretty cool the way he breaks it down. So I recommend it. Um, but all right. All right. We got that out of the way. You guys are welcome to stick around for this next thing. It's, it's going to get dark. And we just talked about all this light and happiness and everything like that. But I, uh, I'm going to be wrapping up the show uh, after this next clip. But we, as uh, I've been doing for like the last, you know, few weeks or the last few shows, I have this uh, segment where I'm calling it, I had to watch it. So now you do too. 
and it's it gets pretty dark at the end here. So um, this, you're welcome to stick around. This is not safe for work. <laughs> if anyone's listening to this, like come back and listen to it some other time. Um, but this is this is yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so, um, uh, anyways, we are in like really really like dark times here when it comes to um what's going on on the internet and what children are being exposed to and uh the types of websites that people are finding out there and um i don't take joy in bringing this to anyone's attention i do this because i think that it needs to be brought to people's attention you know, and if, and if you've already heard this a million times over, I don't expect you to stick around for the rest, for the rest of this, but I'm going to play it through. Nonetheless, it's about a 20 minute clip, uh, an interview of this, this guy. I heard this on grand theft world, uh, and I wanted to bring it to my audience. And it's about this hacker who, um, hacked into a, a website, uh, that was the home of, well, of a bunch of pedophiles and is really disturbing. But while everything else is going on, when people are so consumed with uh, fires and e- presidential elections and political corruption and all these things, there is a dark underbelly to society that is always overlooked and it's never given proper attention. And I can't help but think that the mainstream media is doing nothing but running a red herring campaign to make sure that stories like this don't get out and that the proper amount of outrage toward what is actually happening, you know, here toward the most defenseless of us, which are our children, um, that you know that that outrage isn't isn't happening and i for one am disgusted by it and i'm going to share my disgust <laughs> i'm going to share the thing that's disgusted me so much i'm going to share it with you guys so we're going to watch it before i ever caught a single predator in my life this was the beginning oh my god because the owner of the website Happened to be a Democratic politician and ran for Congress two times. You're basically hunting down these people that are exploiting children sexually on the Internet and in person. Yeah. I know you have a couple of horrific stories. One guy that was, I think it was his daughter in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'll start, you know, kind of where that all uh, came from. Um, I was at a friend's, a friend's house, and I got a text message from my friend's wife. And it, uh, it was multiple photos of screenshots of this website that was, uh, it was clear from the screenshots that the website was on the regular internet. Anyone could access it. And um, should I name the, the website? Yeah. It was, uh, it's no longer up, but it was rapey.co, so rapey. E-Y dot C-O. Then that website went down and it ended up being rapey dot T-O, like T as in Thomas, O as in Oscar. So I see this website and I see the content 
uh, in these screenshots that my friend's wife sent me. She doesn't know anything about computers, but she has kids herself. And she was like, can you do something about this? And I read this content and uh, one of them was, was, uh, was talking about a mother that wanted to have, have kids and then have the kids be uh, raped uh, so that, that when the kids grew up that they could, you know, have in, incest and, and go even further. I mean, I, I'll pull up the screenshots because I'd like to explain like where my head was at that time. But as soon as I read these messages, I, uh, I, like, I, I guess a, a switch flipped in my brain and I left my friend's house immediately as I got the text and I was, I went home. I didn't know for sure that I was going to be able to get into this website. I just knew I wanted to do something about it. And, uh, I found a vulnerability in their platform. I got in, uh, and from that point on, I started to uh, to exfiltrate the data every single day. All of the users, um, I noticed that th that a lot of people were soliciting child pornography on the site. So, I uh, I didn't want to download those messages in case of the fact that I pull in some images that I'm not allowed to have, and nor do I want. Uh, so I made sure to only download the publicly facing stuff, which didn't include it, it had some very graphic text, but it didn't include anything illegal, which I think it should be illegal to talk that way. But it was it, it was horrible stuff. What, what, what were some of the so you started this basically from a text conversation with a concerned mom? That's yeah. what got you into it. Yeah. What's some of the text that you saw? I'd like to read them to you if you want. I still have them. Read them. So this is before I was before I ever caught a single predator in my life. This was this was the beginning and what set my set my brain off um, to uh, to want to help. That this is before I even heard of this website. Before I heard of anything and anything to do with it. Um, okay, here they are. Um, so the title, uh, should I read these? Like they're graphic. Yeah, read them. So the title of this post is Who Wants to Bang These Little um, And then somebody replied underneath, I've got first dibs on the little middle. Uh, Joseph Fritzel, Maximilian, uh, which is, there's two different users there. Pick for yourselves. Um, and this was the photo that they used. Oh my God. That's just one of three. Three texts. These girls things. look like they're six. Very young, yeah. And then there was that one story where I told you about the... I can't see it, but the, the story I told you about the bathtub situation where there was a father who posted their child in the bathtub and uh, they, it said underneath of it... Um, they have no idea what's going to happen to them tonight. And then underneath of that, there were people that were part of this website who were saying what they were going to do to this child. And this wasn't just some fantasy that this guy was talking about. This was a, you know, a guy posting his child in the bathtub, like for real. Like it really was his child. Um, I assume he was a man, but it, it was a parent. Um, you know, so that really got to me. And then uh, I got another part of this text message. I'll just read one more of the three. And this one says that they are a 16-year-old. A lot of these people were role-playing to be children. And in our investigations, we found out there was a lot of actual kids on this website, real kids. 
that were under 18 at the time of uh, this, this, when I hacked the site. What are they doing on there? They're selling their bodies for money to these kids, to these people. Yeah. It's kids. kids prostituting themselves. Yes. Yeah. So one of them, I don't know if this is a real 16 year old or not, but what was said was pretty disturbing regardless. Uh, it said, God, I really want to be a mom. I need someone who wants to impregnate my little 16 year old. When I have our daughter, I'd let you do whatever you wanted from whatever age. Make me watch as you hurt her, making her scream, or if you prefer to gently groom her, teaching her how to lovingly Don't worry if it's a boy, you can watch me Teaching him how to properly a woman. Teaching him how to slap and hurt me to He'd be so cute trying to hard, but so little. Oh my God. So when I got these text messages and reading them even current day right now, um, it, it makes me sick to my stomach to even think about. And, uh, and I know they're gone. So, you know, I mean, not all these people are still out there, but the, the website's down. Um, how, many, how many people are on this website? At first I thought it was a couple thousand. When I uh, cleaned up the database and, and figured it out, there, there's about 7,000 people in just this one website, and uh, we have a total of five. You have 7,000 people on one website. You've... Mm-hmm. And you've, you, couldn't, you couldn't become a member of this website unless you answered uh, an application where you, you, you had to answer a question that was something like, are you okay with, uh, you know, doing something horrible with a three-year-old... You had to answer that question in detail. I forget the exact verbiage of the question. It's it's a uh, it's posted somewhere, um, in, in regards to this interview or or Project Veritas, one or the other. Uh, but you had to fill that out to become a member of the website you just saw, and which would tell me that either you're an undercover cop or you're an actual predator on the site. I mean, who would answer a question like that, even if they were just curious? Is there multiple? So it's a whole questionnaire you have to do to get yeah. into the site. There was a few questions, I think two or three, they were really horrible, but you had to answer them or, or they were not, would not approve you to join the site. Is there any other prerequisites to get on sites like these? Um, yes. So, so what I learned in this process, doing the investigation and exporting, you know, everything that I could legally export, uh, I found that they used a chat app called Telegram, and they were going back and forth talking about, uh, about you know, and they would call it cheese pizza and use all times all kinds of different phrases for it. And I realized there was these moderators in the chat rooms outside of the website, um, where if you would send them child pornography, they would let you into another group, which was full of child pornography. But of course, I couldn't do that. So I never got to see past that part, uh, but I do have evidence of that being a thing when I have because I exported all the chat logs. So I can sh it shows that if I were to send something horrible to one of those moderators, I would have seen something even worse, which is hard to imagine than you know we are already seeing here. What did you What did you do with that information? It helped, actually, let me backtrack. I'm sorry. How How long did it take you? to crack into that website and get this information? Um, I, I wasn't sure, like I said, when I got the text messages and I wanted to try to take, my goal was to just take the site down. And I knew I could make that happen because it was on the, the clear net, uh, regular internet for anyone to visit. I knew I could do that, but I didn't know if I could actually 
get access to their server. Um, once I found the vulnerability, uh, maybe an hour, two hours at the most, if I could remember correctly, it wasn't long. And they never found out they were hacked. So to this day, um, they, they never found out. They, and they will never find out. I mean, unless, unless somebody in that database is watching this, uh, now you know. You're in, you're, <laughs> I have your data, and uh, we will find you. So right. I, I actually recommend you come forward so we don't have to make the story up for you. What did you do with this information? So as soon as I got the information, I, w I thought it was a slam dunk. I thought, like, these people were going to jail. You know, I thought that maybe I, I solved something that, uh, that the FBI or somebody was, you know, working on for a long time. And uh, I instantly went to the exploited children uh, tip line and I, uh, I submitted, you know, saying who the owner of the website was, that I had access to all the data and, uh, and that they were welcome to have it, basically. Um, then I reached out to a bunch of news articles, or I'm sorry, news stations and talked to a ton of reporters and all of them were super excited to talk to me. What news stations? Um, Sun Sentinel, uh, Daily Mail, Business Insider, Fox, uh, some, some influencers, Ronan Farrow, Candace Owens, they both didn't read my messages. Um, but as for the news stations, uh, they, you know, I had full conversations with the reporters. They knew what they were getting themselves into. They were very excited about reporting on it. And once it got back from legal, they weren't allowed to report on it. And um, I said, well, okay, if you're not allowed to report on the illegally obtained material that I have, just let parents know that this website exists and who, you know, what, you know, whatever you want, but just keep whatever illegal out of it. You know, I just want them to parents to know that this website exists. You don't need to put my name. You don't need to put the material that I obtained. Nothing. Uh, every single one of them completely disregarded me. I, you know, I, I sent a lot of those notes over to Project Veritas with some evidence of that. But uh, not a single person until now has done anything about this. Not one, not any conservative media, not any liberal media, because unfortunately that's the day and age we live in now, right? right? Um, none of them, none of them would touch this. No. None of them want to be involved in saving kids. When I say I tried, I tried so hard and nobody wanted to do anything. So what wound up happening with the information? Mm. So law no, enforcement didn't want to get involved either. No. So I, I called my attorney uh, locally and I called an attorney in Virginia because the owner of the website happened to be a Democratic politician and ran for Congress two times. Um, his name is uh, Nathan Larson. And I'll explain more about him in a second. But I talked to a lawyer in Virginia because I knew that's where he lived and I wanted to see what I could do from there. So the lawyer in Virginia basically told me she didn't know what to say. She, she never heard of anything like this. Um, the lawyer in Florida reached out to the task, the local task force, let them know that I had access to the information. Um, and then as well as, you know, doing that tip line. So from that point on, uh, you know, all of these news stations and all the law enforcement connections, whatever you want to call them, they all were fully aware that Nathan Larson was running this website, that he was, you know, he ran for Congress twice, that, uh, that he was an extremist, he did crazy things, um, but he, he did run for Congress two different times in Virginia. So I thought that they would take that seriously. Well, completely ignored. Completely ignored it. 
Project Veritas gave me access to some of the stuff you guys are working on together. Yeah. And in one of those videos, you're reading a quote from Nathan Larson. I'm going to read it right now. <clears throat> this is from Nathan Larson, Democratic politician that ran for VA uh, Congress multiple times, ran a website for pedos to discuss their dark intentions and fantasies. Here's the quote. It's not enough to kids and take their innocence. You also need to reproduce the next generation with them. Let them see that you prefer to the offspring you have with them than to continue to have with a woman who is no longer jailbait. The quote continues. But you can still sometimes. Just let her know, though, that what you love her for the most is producing with you is producing with you a fresh new young girl and that this is her main value in contribution hat you think fondly of her this is disgusting yeah. i'm sorry you think fondly of her for because that beautiful daughter reminds you of her It's unimaginable. It's like, how do, how do people think this way? But there's so many people that think this way that it's alarming is the, is the word for it. I don't know how, how else to put it. It's way more people than you'd think, than you'd like to believe. Code words, pizza and cooking and cheese pizza mm -hmm. stands for child pornography. This is disgusting. Yeah. It gets only worse than that. You know, it's it's really bad. How much worse does it get? Worse. I mean, people, it, it, this this is a person talking about it, and it makes me uncomfortable just as much, much as it makes you uncomfortable. But, uh, you know, these people, what they're talking about, they're, they're doing. You know, this guy isn't some guy with a bunch of fantasies. This guy got arrested six months after. Nobody did anything about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I try my best. He gets arrested six months later with a 12-year-old uh, at a layover at an airport after he raped and kidnapped her. So not only did he uh, talk about it, he did it. And he, he got caught. You know, as for some other people, uh, I don't know how much more I can go into it, but one guy we're investigating um, as of 2020, which is after I submitted the data, he got in trouble for doing something horrible to a child as well, became a fugitive, and I think they eventually got him. But, you know, we're, we're not even close to through the list yet, and, uh, you know, we got a lot more people to expose, and they're not just talking about it, they're doing it. Let's backtrack real quick, because you kind of breezed over what happened. Um, so, the guy with the pit, with the daughter in the bathtub. Yeah. What happened? That guy with the daughter in the bathtub, I, I don't know where he went. He's we, part of the database. I'm talking about the guy that got arrested in Denver. Oh, that's that's uh, Nathan Larson. Okay. So Nathan Larson, he got arrested six months after the fact, um, after I hacked his site, after I submitted it to the authorities, to all the news stations. He gets arrested with a 12-year-old girl and gets arrested for kidnapping. And I don't think he got charged with rape, but he got the kidnapping charge. Um Nathan Larson then went to federal prison for that. And, um, you know, the website went down.
and uh, you know he just he he sat in prison for I forget forget what the sentence was, but it was quite a long time. And to my knowledge, when you're when you're a person like him, you are going to be put you're going to be separated in a federal prison from the regular inmates. And you know, spoiler alert, but Nathan Larson's dead. And uh, the reason why he's dead is due to starvation. The news says that it's suicide. Um, if I had to guess, the inmates that were, you know, responsible for feeding him just let him, you know, starve to death. And I, I believe he deserved every second of that pain. You and me both. So there's been there's been five. I'm sorry. There's been five other sites that you've cracked into. So when when I hacked uh, Rapey. It uh, Nathan left backups of his previous websites on the same server, so it really only took one site to get all five. How many names altogether? Um, I'm not. I can't give you an exact number. I'm not sure, but it's tens of thousands. Hey, everybody! I'm Sean Ryan. Click here to subscribe to the Sean. Oh man. <clears throat> um. So, I mean, with that and uh, the next thing that that I, I want to bring to people's attention, which is actually something you know, close to home for me. This is from a little while back, from July 22nd, 2023, uh, published by Fox News. Uh, Trans-Democrat lawmaker conspired with daycare worker to sexually exploit children. Uh, they have graphic text that show this. And this happened in New Hampshire. Um, and <clears throat> so... Um, from Stacy Lawton, and this is the picture of Stacy Marie Lawton right here, for, and that was in Creative Minds Early Learning Centers. So, um, mm -hmm. mm, uh, a transgender former New Hampshire state lawmaker is facing criminal charges for allegedly conspiring with a daycare worker to gather sexually explicit photos of children. Stacy Marie Lawton, a 39-year-old who was born male but now identifies as a female, is charged with aiding and abetting the sexual exploitation of children, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston said in a statement. Lawton was arrested in connection with the arrest of a day of daycare worker Lindsey Groves, 38, who is said to have uh, been dating Lawton at one point, and the two are believed to have worked together to take sexually explicit photos of children where she worked. Prosecutors said Tuesday that a preliminary forensic review of Groves' cell phone allegedly revealed more than 10,000 text messages between Lawton and Groves. The texts allegedly included discussions about and transfer of explicit photographs that Groves had taken of children last year who appeared to be about three to five years old. Uh, so according to the Justice Department documents, there's a picture of, of Groves. According to Justice Department documents, the text messages show the couple fantasizing with each other about sexual intercourse with the young children. Um, and language used by them is as follows. Quote, so you would let me F the little girls that you, worked, that you work with, unquote, Lawton the first transgender legislature in New Hampshire history, asks Groves, 
quote, and you're not screenshotting this and probably use it against me at all. Like we're both on the same page. We both want to do this. And he would, um, but I'm not even going to read that, but I'll leave it up there for anyone that's watching this to read it. Uh, so yeah, I don't have as much courage to read that kind of stuff as the people in that video that we showed, uh, have, but these, um, these are, can all be found in the show notes if you want to, if you want to read it. And some of the stuff that, uh, that the guys in that video were talking about is very, very much on, uh, uh, like on par with satanic ritual abuse. Um, and anyone that wants to learn more about that, uh, Sean McCann of wake the dead, uh, he has a, a lot of material on this and his podcast feed. And then you can find things from Jay Parker as well on the one great work network. Uh, and the, he has a podcast called the center path and Jay Parker's history is, is fraught with this kind of thing. But those are a couple of sources that you can go and look into. Plus, um, Fritz Springmeier has a book called how the Illuminati create an undetectable mind controlled slave. There's all sorts of material out there that people can look into, but to learn more about satanic ritual abuse, um, not here really. I'm not really into that, uh, going into that, those kinds of rabbit holes, but periodically I think we, we should probably, you know, look into those, de the, look into the abyss, you know, a little bit, so to speak. But, um, what, what did you, what, what, what do you guys think about the things that we just <laughs> watched and heard about? It's fucking disgusting. <laughs> simple um yeah as a mother that makes me completely insane you know as a as a mother that's not a psychopath it makes me completely insane <laughs> i couldn't even i i mean like i, I mean for me it's just like my my daughter's like you know, she's like one of my best friends. Uh, she really is. Well, she's like 18. She's, she's uh, ungroundable now, <laughs> as I say. But, and she's amazing. But I know for me, it's like, you know, I, I couldn't even, it wouldn't stand in my, in my book, not for one second. What do you guys think? Uh, like, I just, uh, you know, I want to bring this up. Um, this, the movie, the sound of freedom, um, although it might get people emotionally charged, I've not seen the movie. So I will admit I'm speaking out of class here a little bit. Maybe I should see the movie before I speak about it. However, it seems as though that the primary setting of that movie is in different countries. And this this red caped hero from the Department of Homeland Security goes to different countries to save kids. Now, if I'm incorrect about that, I will I'll be the first one to admit it. But to me, that seems like it's like another red herring where it's throwing people off the trail and this stuff is happening at home. And 
I feel bad for children everywhere if this is happening to them. It's a fucking disgusting problem. And I can't believe that this is still going on. Like in this day and age, like you'd think that with the information, like it seems like this guy had a pretty easy time and then no one wants to do anything about it. He's reporting it to like main media outlets and they can't do any, anything with it. They won't. And law enforcement won't do anything with it. And we got this movie that came out that everyone's making a big stink about. And it's like, look, like that doesn't even, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then I think that it's just like, what the fuck do we do? You know, like this is, these are the problems that we face as, as a society, as humanity. And like these type, this type of evil is, it exists and people are worried about what (laughs) their politics, like who the next president's going to be. No one's talking about this. No one is saying anything about this. I have two children myself. My son is six. My daughter is almost three. My son is almost seven. You know, we homeschool. This is one of the reasons why. Because there's sick fucks out there that will do that. Like, you just can't trust anybody. You know? Right. It's very difficult. I haven't seen that movie either. Um, The only thing I... I would say about it because I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, so I don't know too much about it. But the only thing I would say about that is that um, the I, I just feel like the majority of people, they need to be softballed a lot of information. So um, even somebody putting out a movie like this, it's very, I mean, none of it's PG, but it's like the PG version of like the real nasty shit that's out there. So I kind of feel like maybe that's in a way a good thing that it is an official movie and it's out there and it's it's being supported and it's being watched and it's giving people at least the understanding that this is a this is a thing. And this is a problem. And that may open the doors within their minds to start to be able to see or be able to accept how dark that really gets. And so maybe it, it helps in that regards. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. But right. it's so hard. I, I know that it's so hard for most people to go like, Oh, no, 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 that can't be, that can't be, because they themselves could never even think of such horrors. Um, So they want to automatically go to, you know, thinking that, oh, so nobody I know or nobody that I would support would be part of that, you know, or they just don't want to even think it exists. Yeah. So I think it's very difficult for people Jerry, did you see that movie? Nah, I I was using like hand signs to like signify that I haven't seen it. But I just wanted to comment really quick because with the One Great Work Warriors, our next uh, roundtable discussion is on the conspiracy of denial. So maybe we'll have a roundtable on that and just dive deeper. Hmm. Yeah. Not that I think any one. of that's an excuse or anything, but I'm just... I, I'm just thinking because people listen to entertainment, they listen to movies, they listen to that stuff, you know. Yeah. Maybe there's somebody trying to 
I mean, maybe it is just distraction, but maybe there's some somebody trying to open the mental doors there, like pay attention to this so you can really see what's happening and at least start moving in the right direction. So I don't know. It's just my yeah. idea. I just worry that it might be, and again, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just say, I worry sometimes like if, if these types of movies are to trick people into thinking that it's happening in other places when we have, you know, we've heard for decades now, I mean, when was like Corey Feldman spoke out about this a long time ago and he became yeah. a laughing stock, you know, I mean, it's just a one example, but I mean, uh, you know, what was, was, uh, was it river Phoenix who killed himself, you know, a drug yeah. overdose or however he went, I forget, but you know, like that was Corey Feldman's best friend, you know, or, or no wait, Corey Haim was his best friend, but they were all like, you know, child actors, a lot of child actors come out and, mm -hmm. and say that there's, there's crazy things. I mean, Elijah Wood even said that there's crazy stuff about that happens to children in Hollywood. And then he shut up about it. But I mean, plenty of them have, yeah. have come Look out. What happened to Daniel Radcliffe? You remember what happened to him? No, I don't. He, he lost his mind at one point. Um, hmm. And it was in and out of the news really, really quickly. Um, but he, I mean, he's the Harry Potter star. Yeah. So just imagine what happened to them. And then like Emma Watson, she really went into the... I think she went into the dark side, but well, I mean, um, even Amanda Bynes from Nickelodeon, that that guy, the the guy that was like one of the production, uh, the the producers in Nickelodeon, I forget his name, but he was like the main guy for all that, and he was around these kids all the time, and he got found out to be in a child abuser, and like, and I mean, the 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 cliche. Uh, the, the 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 cliche thing to say is that when when a uh, when somebody wants to you know get a lot of money, where do they go? They go they go to the bank. They rob a bank because that's where the money is, right? That's what they want. You know, look at all the the all right here. What is a child predator going to do? They're going to go work at a place like Nickelodeon or Disney. They're going to go and do. They're going to go work in Hollywood and be on these movie sets. That's where they're going to go. You know, I mean, that's just one example. They're, they're going to go and work at a daycare, you know, or a school. Because that's where the children are, you know. Now, uh, John in the chat, he he's talking about the Franklin scandal, you know, out in the boys' town in uh, um, Nebraska. So... That's 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 an excellent example. He also brought up Isaac Cappy. Isaac Cappy was an actor who was bringing a lot of attention to it, and he's also John also said that when it comes to the Sound of Freedom, I guess at the end, um, it shows statistics how to prevent how prevent how prevalent sex trafficking of children is. So that's that's cool. It's another reason to watch the film, you know. Um, but man, I was saying that uh, it's it's 
sometimes I, my mind wanders into this, this area where it's just like, I just, you know, you want to blame the parents, you know, but it's like, you know, like at some point it's like, no, these predators, they, they got to go, you know, and there's another thing about this mass campaign about censorship. I mentioned a lot earlier in the show. It's like, no, you want, you don't want censorship. You want free freedom of speech no matter how nasty the speech is, you want to be able to have people say what's on their minds, because if this is the type of stuff that they're into, you want to find out if I had it my way, I know how, uh, I know how this might sound, but if I, if, if anyone ever did something like like that to one of my children, I'd castrate the motherfucker and I'd hang him right in the town square. This is what happens to pedophiles in my neighborhood. Fuck you. You know, you, that's it. That's it. You're done. You don't, you don't get a, you don't get a sentence. No, you, you, you're done. You get executed publicly. Now, I don't care what that, what that, what kind of idea that gives people about me. You don't hurt kids. That's it. So. I agree with you. Public naming and shaming and execution mm-hmm. all the way. It's as a warning to others. Mm-hmm. You you start sticking heads on pig poles. And you know, there's another thing, there's another element of all this too, is like, you know, the, uh, there's, there's a lot of people that are, that are living lifestyles that, uh, like the LGB people, you know, that are living that living lives to the fullest, the way that they want to be comfortable in their own skin, which I back 100%. You, you, you should be free to, to love whoever you, whoever you're attracted to live your life. You're not hurting anybody. You're not, this doesn't harm anyone. As far as I can tell, live your life. If that's the type of lifestyle that, that makes you feel comfortable in your own skin, that makes you feel like you're fulfilling your, your destiny here, whatever that you want to equate it to. That's great. You know, there's a lot of people like there's a Twitter account called gaze against groomers. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a, this is a problem. You know, why aren't they, why aren't these, you know, drag queens like reading books to elderly people? Why isn't that in the news? Why isn't that, if if it's happening, why aren't we hearing about it? Right, right. Why is it all about the kids and everything like that? I mean, is it like a political psyop on both sides? It's like, what the fuck did we even do? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't, I don't know what the, what, what the, uh, what the right course of action is other than to just keep my kids away from areas in which those things take place. But I mean, we, uh, there, there's, there's like, seems to be an attack on children going on and there seems to be one sort of group that is at the front of it. I, and I don't like pointing fingers like that, but it just, it's just almost undeniable that, that like a lot of, a lot of people that, are a part of like the LGBTQ community. They want to normalize sexualization of children. And it's not that that shit ain't cool. They can't consent. They can't consent because they have no, uh, they, they have no concept of long-term consequences. Children are constantly, they don't understand. They're constantly living in the moment. You know, like I see it in my own children. They're just, they think about like maybe five, 10 minutes ahead of time. You know, like there's, there's no, 
grasp on long-term consequences. You know, that's why they can't consent, you know, and then you see college professors out there talking about minor attracted persons. It's like, no, that's a pedophile. It's not, and, and maybe it is a mental sickness. Maybe there's something going on and, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that, like, what are we like? What are we talking about? Giving compassion to those types of people? No, 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 no. You don't do that. And you know what? Like a lot of the times it's because they were abused when they were kids and like, okay, Oh, boo hoo. I like, I, but like, when does it stop? We can't allow ourselves to go down this road as a, as, as a, as a society. It's just not, it's just not unacceptable. I was thinking that these guys are psychopathic. Maybe I'm wrong, but they're lacking that care. What do you think? Oh, they're definitely psychopaths. There's something fucked up about their, about them for sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something, there's something not right there with this whole entire, the whole entire group of people, not only people that have those urges or act on those urges, but the people that are willing to be like, Oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not, there's no compassion for people like that. Like, no, the, 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 that can't, it can't exist. It's just, you ever seen the show Vikings? No. They they do this uh essentially killed someone and they would like torture them so bad and that's like the kind of death I'm thinking about these folks. So yeah. Yeah, I mean it's hey if, if let me let me let me put it the let me put one little one little, you know, bow on it, right? if a person with those types of urges can manage to live their entire life in the closet about those urges, that's the, that's the only way it's ever going to end. You got to go. You got to go, Sarah. Uh, Oh yeah. Um, I didn't want to interrupt though. I'll keep watching, but, um, um, yeah, yeah, it's about 1030 on the eat on the West coast. So yeah, I'm going to wrap it up in a minute. So thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. And it was a great show. Thanks for having me. Anytime. See you, Sarah. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Uh, it's just you and I again, Jerry. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what I was saying was is that, like, if a, if a person can go through their whole entire life and, and, like, never give in to those urges or whatever and just, like, keep it to themselves, that's one thing. You just never know. Right. I, I don't know. I, I'm trying my best to figure out a way, but it's like not making much sense. But um, I, I guess I, oh man, what mm-hmm. I'm saying is, is that the only way that the cycle of abuse in this arena ever stops is very similar to how almost all other cycles of abuse really stop is if the people that are going to go and do those actions don't go and do them to the next generation of people that come along because a lot of these things seem intergenerational where it's like oh it was like i said oh it was done to me and then uh, it's a uh it's a tool song that comes to mind uh, it's about uh it's called it's it's a tool song off of their album called undertow and it's a song called prison sex 
And it's about, it's not about what the title makes you think it's about. It's about, you know, intergenerational uh, abuse and the, the uh, abuse victim cycle where the abused, uh, the, the victim turns into the abuser and then it just rinse, wash, repeats over and over and over again. And uh, it's called prison sex because the person that's being abused can't do anything to stop it. They can't escape. So it's like they're in a prison. And the and so we have to be able to uh, realize that with all abuse, that there is a way to stop it. And it's, it's like breaking the cycle. And um, the message that I'm trying to send out there is to anyone that suffered abuse when they were a kid, if you want it to stop, it's up to you to not, to not repeat. So um, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta wrap this up, Jerry. What, bleh, bleh, bleh. I'm getting tongue tied now, almost five hours. Um <laughs> Well, how are you doing, buddy? What, what do you? I'm good, James. I just, um, I really wanted to leave it on the positive note, and I think what you said uh, wraps it up. Awesome. Well, thank you for being, uh, thank you for being here with me, uh, Jerry. And um, I will, I will, I'm going to include a link in the show notes to uh, bring people over to the one great work warriors telegram chat. How about that? Do you, do you approve? I certainly do. All right, cool. Sweet. And, uh, with that, I'll, I, I wish you a good night, Jerry. Thanks James. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Um, James Cordner, last man standing. Uh, but a, um, it's been a, it's been a great show. Um, and, so in closing we we had a pretty interesting show this evening thank you all for tuning in and staying on board and um you know just like always this show is called the hitchhiker's guide to truth because uh gonna get you a little further down the road gonna get you a little closer to your your destination because we might not be able to bring you all the way down the path to truth but we can certainly bring you a little further toward truth. And that is our goal here. And uh, I just want to leave you all with the message that I tend to leave you with every week is I love you all very much. And without you, uh, without, without you out there, there would be, you know, it'd be pretty boring. (laughs) So thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time and giving, and uh, you know, and listening to the show. Um, Explore the show notes because that's where you find the, the links to uh, the sources and everything. And um, if if you would be so inclined, take a look at my website, freeyourmindne.com. Come on over there. And please feel, uh, if, if you feel, you know, like you have gained something out of this show, uh, you can reciprocate that by buying a t-shirt from me or making a straight donation uh through my website you can find the store or you can donate and all proceeds to any donations that i get will be going toward covering the cost of my tuition to attend the autonomy course uh and 
Um, that is, that is all. So until next time, uh, just stay vigilant and, you know, uh, like Sarah was saying, practice aligning your thoughts, emotions, and actions and harmonizing them. And, uh, if we can do so, then we might find ourselves in a more independent space where we're more self-reliant and we're not dependent on other uh, people, forces, institutions, entities, whatever, you know, and we might be able to stand on our own two feet and know what we want, know what we need, know how to get it and uh, know how to treat others the way that we want to be treated and don't do unto others what you would not have done unto you. Uh, this is the end of the broadcast. <laughs> Five hours. Oh my God. I love you guys. Peace. To catch the full recording, please explore the show notes and follow a link uh, to one of the other platforms listed there where the full episode can be viewed. We are currently battling a little bit of censorship. But I can at least uh, assure you that the entire episode does exist. So I hope to see you over there. Please like and subscribe on one of those other channels in case this Spotify account goes away for good. Thank you all and keep on traveling down that road to truth.